You know, there's something else when people are hunting you down and want to kill you. It really is something when you fear that you're going to be next. Those Christians in Damascus had received word that this killer was out looking for them. And if they found any of those who was called of the way, that is, fallen Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was to arrest them and bring them back to stand trial and then to be stung to death. It was a great time of fear in the church. But unknown to this killer and his army of renegades, God was watching from heaven. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was watching. Just like God is watching his daughter here. He knows what's going on with her. Nothing escaped God. Jesus intervened himself in the life of this killer. And I'd like to say that God has a sense of humor. Because he took a, a killer, the one that was reaping havoc on his church, the one that was causing so much pain and agony to his church. <laughs> he turned around and made him one of them. Isn't that something? And that's where we are today in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at not really the rest of the story because the story goes on. Majority of the book of Acts is really about the Apostle Paul and the ministry that God, by Jesus Christ, sent him to do. And here, in every now and then, you'll see the other apostles being inserted into it. But the majority of it is about Paul's ministries. Let, let me give you a little bit, as I shared with Clinton last night. Paul was like any other man of his day. He knew this blessed word of God, what we call the Old Testament, because the New Testament didn't exist. He was one of the writers of the New Testament, as we call it. But this man knew the word of God inside out. But what he did not know is that the promised Messiah had already come, bled and died and rose again from the dead for our sin. And it wasn't coming in the manner in which they thought he was coming. Nor did he come and do what they think he was coming to do. They were looking for a great liberator. Well, in fact, he was a great liberator. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was coming to liberate man from what? From sin. That was the biggest problem on earth. Not that someone was holding another nation captive as slaves and, and were oppressing them. The problem was that man had separated himself from God. Not just the nation of Israel. They were just the, 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 the people that God was going to use to bring the Messiah through. But the entire world, and here's what was supposed to have happened. And you got to get this in order to understand the, the importance of what God did with this man's life. The entire nation of Israel supposed to have been God's model for the rest of the nations on earth. How God can take a people and raise them up to serve him with gladness of heart. 
And the nations were supposed to look at Israel and say, wow, there's something different about this nation. These people are different than any other people on earth. And why were they different? Because their lives were lining up with the word of God. They were doing what God had called them to do. But it was hitting misses, more misses than there were hits on that. But yet God did not take his eyes off of them. God raised that nation up from nothing. He called an old couple, Abram and Sarah, one 65 and the other one 75. And he took an old couple at the age of 190 and brought forth one child. And through that one child, he brought forth twins. And out of one of those twins, he brought forth 12. And then the 12 brought forth a nation, a nation of three million people in Egypt. And that was the nation that God said, okay, I birthed my baby. Now you are to be the model family on earth so that the rest of the millions and billions of people on earth who are mine also, I created them for my glory, that they were to watch how you live before me and pattern their lives after you. And so, but that didn't happen. And God knew they were not going to live up to the way he said they were to live through Moses. In fact, if you read the last part of Deuteronomy, God had Moses to write a song. He said, you tell Israel, this is how they're going to do when they go into the land. It's warm in here. And he said, listen, when you go into the land, you're going to do this and this and this. In fact, he told them, he said, now, when you go there, there are going to be two mountains. When you get there, I want one half of you to shout blessings and the other half of you to shout curses. Well, under Joshua's authority and his leadership, they did that. One group got on Mount Gerizim, one group got on Mount Ebal. And one group shouted the blessings, and the other group shouted the curses. Why the blessings were, get it now, the blessings were if you obey God, this is what's going to happen to you. But if you disobey God, this is what's going to happen to you, the curses. Okay? Pretty simple. And so that nation was to go into the land, the land of Canaan, in which God conquered for them, and they were to set up worship, and they were to set up household. He gave them houses that they didn't build and wells in which they didn't dig and vineyards that they didn't plant. Basically, Mr. David, he had gave them everything. He had provided everything for them. And all they had to do was go in and occupy the land, erect their monuments, otherwise their altars, not monuments, but altar to God, and worship him in spirit and in truth. That's all they had to do. And then, as the nations come through the land, and they even sent out ambassadors to the other nations, those nations was to come and look at Israel's life and say, wow, so we're worshiping a false god. We need to walk away from them and come to the one true God. Okay? That's why Jesus made the bold statement on the night in which he was betrayed. He said, I am the true vine, and God is the vine dresser. King James Version said, husbandman. You say that very fast. And so, in other words, he's the vine keeper. He's the keeper of the garden. He's the gardener. He makes sure that the vine is healthy and producing. And Jesus said to them, I am the true vine. Why is that? Because 
in the book of Isaiah and even Jeremiah, he said, Israel was God's choice vine. He went out and he bought the best vine. In other words, he raised Israel up from nothing and planted them in the best soil, the land of Canaan, which we call today Israel. And in that, that vine was supposed to produce a harvest, a harvest of abundant grapes, grapes that would later become seeds and go out and produce others, okay? Those were the nations. Well, they failed to do that. And Jesus, when he came, he said, oh, but I am the true vine of God. And God, my father, is the vine keeper. And he takes and he purges all of the branches that's on me so that you, the branch, in other words, that vine doesn't stay dormant or doesn't stay just like it is, Mr. David. The vine is growing. The branches are going out. It's creeping out all over the place. And that vine is producing clusters of grapes. Those are souls being saved. Turning from false gods to the one true God. And as those grapes are coming in, those branches are being pruned even more by God himself. So that Jesus said, so they can produce what? More fruit. Okay? That's the purpose of the church. And Paul, of all people, would have understood the imagery of a vineyard and a, and a gardener going, planting a vine and taking care of it. He would have known this. He would have known all the images of the Old Testament about God. And he even tells us in his book in Philippians, he said, look, I, I out-excel all of my peers. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, Zor, he was the best of the best as a young man. No one was better at knowing what the law was than Paul. So God knew when he got a hold of that man on the road to Damascus, when Jesus converted him, when Jesus saved him, he showed him, Jesus himself now, not the apostles. Jesus himself showed Paul everything that he had learned in the Old Testament, as we call it. They call it the Torah. Everything that he had learned in the Torah about the coming Messiah was Jesus. All Paul had to do was put the face to the prophecy. Put the face to the prophecy, which Lord Jesus did with him. And Paul, oh my goodness, when he got it, what we like to say, he got it. Amen. Amen? And just such as you. Some of you are doubting. Some of you are very skeptical about some of the things in God's word. And some of you are struggling to, go, to understand. But, but let me tell you to be patient and wait on God. Because in due season, the Holy Spirit is going to help you get it. And when you get it, you got it. Mind that English, right, Zor? Okay? And so here we are now. Paul, he is a brand new Christian. He's brand new to the faith, to the way. But he's not brand new to the word of God. Now he has something. He has a foundation that has already been built by God in him. The foundation is the word of God. This is what was lacking in other apostles. The difference were they walked with Lord Jesus for three and a half years. They saw the miracles and all, so they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. They, they witnessed it with their own eyes. 
Okay, that's why John would write in 1 John, he said, look, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have heard with our own ears, and what we've touched with our own hands, good you're here, you're my, 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 my <laughs> object lesson. And so, those apostles, they knew. They watched Jesus walk on the water. They watched him quiet the storm. They watched him cast out demons. Paul said, I was an apostle, one who was born out of season. Okay? He said, I didn't get a chance to witness those things. But however, the same God that saved them, saved him. Same spirit living in, in those apostles, now living in him. Watch what the spirit does with Paul. <coughs> and you, Clinton, listen very careful. Because what God showed you last night... He's about to teach you a powerful lesson about discipleship. All of you, if you will listen to the Spirit today, watch how God takes a human life that was very degenerate to him and take that life and change it and transform it into the beautiful, powerful vessel that God says we're to be. Watch it now. Acts chapter 9, we'll start at verse 20. Matter of fact, let's back up a little bit. Let's go to verse 17. And Ananias, when he went his way, entered the house and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the life-changing event right there. That was it. A killer is no longer killer. A harasser of God's church, of Prosecutor, persecutor of God's church, his people, is no longer that. He's now one of us. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. Not just his physical sight, he also received the greatest sight that we can receive. He received his spiritual sight. He now could see things clearly according to the Spirit. Because he once was blind, but now he what? Did y'all not sing that? That, that? You didn't know that was coming today, did you? Okay? That is a living reality. When a person gets saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the living God enters that person, before they walked in darkness, they were completely blind to the things of God. Now the Spirit opened their eyes and they're able to see where God is at work and believed the prophecy and the writings of, the, of, of God himself. And so here's where you all are. Every day your spiritual sight has to be nurtured by the Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? Every day you set aside time to get in God's word and to go before God in prayer. And the more you do that, the more the Spirit will nurture you and grow you up in him. We're going to see this here in a moment in the scriptures. We're going to see an entire nation being nurtured and developed by the Holy Spirit. Watch this. So Paul now is getting this. Verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Not just his, his, his physical man was strengthened because he hadn't eaten in three days. But his spiritual man. The one that lied dormant all that time, because remember what Jesus would say to the people in Capernaum, and you read about it in John chapter 6, starting at verse 63. 
He said, it is the spirit that quickens. In other words, the Holy Ghost is the one that gives life to every believer. Are you hearing me? And he said, it's the spirit that quickens, and the words that I speak, they are life and they are spirit. Meaning the word of God is alive. It is the spirit of God that brings life in you. You're no longer dead to God, but you're alive to Christ by the spirit. And so you have a, an entire world of people, majority of them are the walking dead. Pardon the expression, but literally, they are the walking dead. They're dead spiritually to God until they get saved by Lord Jesus. That is a true statement. Are you all hearing me? So Paul, for the first time in his life, received life. He's now alive to God by way of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God signifies that this man is now alive to God. Amen. Amen. And, and we have to be very, very careful how we see people that come in and confess Jesus and profess Jesus. Okay? We have to be very careful because last night, Clint, you smelled the alcohol on that man when he walked through the door. One was going, oh, here goes another drunk. But that man came in the door professing Christ. God knew that that man was in bondage to something. He knew what the bondage was. And the man came in and he confessed the bondage that was on his life. And he didn't know that he was getting ready to be set free by the Holy Ghost. Right in here. And that's why you have to be ready at all times to do God's will. Because you never know when the spirit of the living God in Christ Jesus is going to have you like Ananias. Ananias is hiding in his house. Because he heard that there was one coming to search them out and to arrest them and take them back to stand trial and then be killed. He's hiding. And Jesus said, Ananias, come here. This is where I want you to go. I want you to go face this killer face to face. Not only face him face to face, I want you to lay hands on him. You want me to what? <laughs> yes. He's a chosen vessel of mine who will stand before Gentiles and before kings, before nations, and before my people Israel. And I will show him many things in which he hath to suffer for me this day. And boy, did Paul suffer. And Ananias said, but Lord, hadn't you heard? We heard, we heard, we heard what he's doing to your people and how he has letters from the high priest to come here to Damascus and to arrest all who believe in you? And she said, go. Did you notice how the Lord didn't answer to him and say, I know? You know what his words were? Go. God don't want to hear our excuses. He wants to see results. Amen? Amen? That's why I keep telling you all, why, what are you all afraid of to go and tell somebody about Jesus and invite him here to come and worship with us? What are you afraid of? The Lord requires you to simply be like Ananias, even if you're afraid. Go. And when you go, Brother Amelia, how many people did you talk to about the Lord Friday? Quite a, few. Quite a few. And how many people you smiled at on Friday? <laughs> I don't know, lots. <laughs> <laughs> and we watched God move. We heard testimonies about 
people's life conditions at those moments and how God had intervened. Just like Jesus did when Paul was ready to destroy his church. Jesus intervened, okay? And as a result of faithfulness, watch what happens as a result of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another word for faithfulness is what? Anybody know? It starts with an O. Anybody know? Want me to help you out? Let's go to school. Oh, say that again. Oh, somebody got it. Hallelujah. Give him an apple. Okay, you're about to say it, but that ain't good enough unless it comes out. And so here you have it. Obedience is another word for faithfulness, right? And when we're faithful, watch what God does. Watch what Lord Jesus do to his people and with his people, okay? So immediately there fell from his eyes. He got his sight back. He received food in verse 19. Then he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. All of a sudden, these people are going, uh, is this the same man? And, and they were kind of skeptical. They were very ambivalent about trusting him. Okay? And they had their alertness up. And they were wondering, is this a facade? Is he really pretending to be one of us so that he can find out where we're all at? And then come in and capture us and haul us off to uh, Jerusalem, 140 miles to the south? Uh, what is his motive here? But the Holy Spirit in them. Hear me well now. Ananias had a responsibility here. What was this responsibility that Ananias had? Deacons, y'all need to listen carefully to this. Ananias had a responsibility to tell his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that this is true. <coughs> Why? Because Ananias witnessed firsthand from the Lord Jesus Christ what he did with this man's life. So he had to tell his other brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be afraid. What you see here is real. Because the Lord himself spoke to me about him. And I went and laid hands on him. And he was blind when he came to me. Well, when I went to him. And when I laid eyes on him and laid hands on him and prayed, scales fell from his eyes and he received the sight. And immediately he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias, you see the position Jesus placed Ananias in? He made Ananias a very powerful man that day. Did you know that? He made Ananias one of the most powerful men in Damascus. Probably the most powerful one. Because Ananias just seen something from the Lord Jesus Christ that he never had before. Who would ever thought Ananias probably was thinking that Jesus would talk directly to him. And then send him on a mission. And he watched Jesus transform a killer. Right before him. Who would have known that? So... You and I don't know when God's going to use us. You never know when the moment will arise for Miss Marie with all her vocals to go and tell somebody, thus said the Lord Jesus Christ, and watch Jesus change that person right in front of her. You don't know, teenagers. You don't know, Zora, that you may be sitting in the dorm room. Like, oh, by the way, 
I'm going to give you a quick testimony. In Gainesville, a few years ago, wasn't that long ago, a young lady roommated it with another one. One saved, one not saved. They were just months away from graduation. They're in their last semester of college. The saved sister kept praying for the unsaved. The unsaved was the one came and rented in the same house where she was. And the unsaved girl kept picking on the saved girl. She would walk in on her and find her on her knees with her Bible praying. Whenever the girl was struggling, she said, I'm going to pray for you. And then she labeled the saved girl fruitcake. Did you get that? She labeled the saved girl fruitcake. But guess what? One day, God made it right. And fruitcake got the opportunity to witness to the unsaved girl. And she showed her her DVD that was put on by Louis Giglio called The Indescribable, where he talks about the heaven and if earth was the size of a golf ball and how great is our God, okay? And the girl who was now calling her fruitcake kneeled and accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. Because fruitcake didn't give up on her. Okay? Now let me tell you the rest of the story. The girl came from a dysfunctional family. Her mom and all them didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, from my understanding. The mom and dad were split. One half of the family lived in Jacksonville. She was on her way back from Jacksonville and had a rake. Just a couple of weeks from graduation. She never recovered. But she did leave a diary. She left a diary about this girl called Fruitcake. And she even called her dad and told him what had happened to her. You know what her father did? Her father contacted Louis Giglio, the one that did the DVD. And Louis Giglio made a DVD on this young girl's life. And he titled it Fruitcake. Because one girl, like Ananias, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she held her position and would not allow the enemy to move her. Is that you today? You want to be a fruitcake for Jesus? Because that's what's required. Ananias that day, he had to stand up. Verse 20. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This is huge because Saul knew the scriptures. He knew, is it too cold in here now? Saul knew that 
the Messiah, all the promises of the coming Messiah from the Old Testament, Saul knew that by the Spirit, this is him. So he didn't have to go and sit at the foot of the cross in order to believe because Lord Jesus made a believer out of him on the road to Damascus. And when the man came and laid hands on because Jesus even told Saul that you're going to go and a man named Ananias have seen in the vision you coming. And he's coming to lay hands on you so that you can receive your sight. You see how both men, the Lord mirrored them up and both got the same testimony from the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, the, the evidence is irrefutable. You got to understand this. You got, this is huge. And immediately the scripture said, this man knew from the Holy Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He knew it. And now he's preaching the gospel. Where is he preaching the gospel at? In Damascus. The very place where he went to go and rest Christians. He's now there preaching the gospel. Only God can do that. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can make this happen. And every day, if you allow Jesus by the Holy Spirit to work through you, you will see him doing this. Oh, that was a very sad note on Friday when we was in Trenton. Young lady came up, get some eggs. She had two small girls with her, two small children. And that was her giving her the eggs, began to share the gospel with her. And I asked, I said, What's stopping you right now from accepting Jesus, God's Son, as your Lord and Savior? She goes, I don't know. I said, okay, let's talk about I don't know right now. I don't know means no. Just take the I don't from in front of it and just simply no. I said, but you can know for certain right now. And you can have Jesus right here and now because he loves you. And you see his children out here, we're doing this because of him. We want to show you his love. It's a young lady, you're in a position right now to get the greatest love you ever had. But I'm not ready. What was the saddest part about her rejecting Christ right then? Her children stood there and they watched and listened to their mom say to the king of glory, I don't want you. So what kind of imagery and what kind of enforcement does she just instill in her children? She just told them it's okay to reject Christ. It's okay to tell God I'm not ready when in fact God holds the timetable of your life. He owns every second of your heartbeat. And you're saying to him, I don't know, or I'm not ready. It's pretty sad. But I'm so glad Saul didn't tell Jesus, I'm not ready. She was in no position to tell Lord Jesus no. So now he's preaching the gospel. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jesus and has come here for that purpose? So you see, he's still in Damascus so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. Is he fooling us? Is this a trick? 
so that he can capture us and take us to the high priest? In a way, I probably would have been a little skeptical too because you never know how the enemy's going to work. Amen? And so I would have had my eyes open and I would have been suspicious as well. But Saul increased all the more in strength. In other words, what was happening here, he was growing in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit was increasing himself in Paul, if there's such a thing. And the evidence was sure and unmistakable and undeniable that this man belonged to Jesus. He was no longer the man that the high priest had sent to Damascus. He was now a new creation. And the people couldn't believe it. Huh? That's the same one? I, I mean, I would have told Clinton, if I would have been there, look, 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 watch him, boy. Exactly. Right? I, I would say, hey, 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 slip a little bit in the food that you're about to fix him. Okay? But I'm glad that I'm really not like that. I was saying, Jesus, is this for real? Because John would write many years later that the Holy Spirit bears witness in us that another person belonged to Jesus. Are you aware of that? John would write, go back and read in 1 John, and I think it's in chapter 4, that he would say that the Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit in us, would bear witness to the Holy Spirit that's in someone else, that they belong to Jesus. And automatically, we are on the same wavelength. Okay? But if it's not, the Spirit said, you better watch out. That's a devil in disguise. A lamb. Okay? That's not really a lamb. He's a wolf in lamb's clothing. Watch him. But this wasn't the case. This was authentic. This was genuine. So Saul increased in more and more in strength and confounded the Jews who, who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So when you see someone get saved and, and, and you know what their life was like prior to that, look for the evidence of change. Because if a person truly have Christ living in them, the evidence would show that that person is no longer the same. Okay? That there was starting to be, the old man was starting to fall off. Okay? Old attitudes and behaviors and thoughts and speech will begin to change and disappear. Okay? Like vapor. Boosh. Gone. And then all you will see is that budding of a new branch and new growth taking place. You know how when you plant a plant? Or, 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 or you have an old tree and you chop it down and all of a sudden a new sprout comes up. You'll see new growth, but it ain't the same tree with Christ, okay? Make sure I clarify that. This is a new creation. And that tree began to grow and grow and get bigger. The finally gets to the point, you see some blooms, you see some blossoms. And you go, ooh, the tree is blossoming. And all of a sudden you see little images of fruit come out from among the blossom. Am I right, Mr. David? Mm -hmm. 
And you go, man, I didn't know this thing was a fruit tree. <laughs> Look at here. That's so ugly thing is now a beautiful tree. Now bringing forth what? Fruit. Jesus said, that's your life. That's what he does with you. That's what was happening with Paul. Jesus had took, uprooted his old life, transplanted him into the new, and now he's growing and he's producing fruit. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ wants for you and for me. And if you're not able to do that, you need to go back to your prayer closet and talk to God about it. You need to talk to Lord Jesus and find out where is it, that's, or what is it. In fact, where and what? Both of them. It's very tangible. Why did you stop producing fruit? What happened? Somewhere along the line, something happened in your life. And the Holy Spirit, and I promise you, when you're true to God with this, I promise you the Holy Spirit will show you where you went wrong. And as he gives you the strength to confess it, he'll give you the strength to change from it. And then you will watch God say, okay, put some water on him and put some fertilizer. It's time now to take on a new growth. Amen? Because this is what's happening with Paul. This is what's happening with him. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So now his folks are angry. Those who once wasn't approving of this man prior life, okay? They're going to call him a traitor. And, you know, we got to get him. We got to take him out. The only way you can deal with a traitor is you kill him. And that's what they're plotting. Because he's no longer one of theirs. And something has to change. And it has to be stopped. Because now this thing called the way is growing faster than it was before. Are you hearing me? You ever wonder why all of a sudden your life takes off with the Lord and you're going, Whoa! <laughs> Jesus, look, look what you're doing with me. Because he has taken on new growth in you. But on the peripherals, because this is a reminder to you and me, young people and old people and all kind of people in here. This is the reminder that the enemy is not going to be happy with your life. When you leave his camp and go into the camp of the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy is not going to be pleased with your life. And Satan going to seek to destroy you. I'm telling you right now. Just like he's using his baby trying to destroy the service so that y'all can't listen. Because there's a purpose for you listening today. But watch what God does. Just as the enemy plots to destroy you spiritually and even physically, because Paul would have experienced physical harm here. Verse 24, but, the, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They were very serious about this thing. They were going to take him out. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So just as much the enemy was serious about killing him, God was also serious about saving him and keeping him. Amen? Just as they had their soldiers out looking for Paul to kill him, 
God had his soldiers. Lord Jesus had his men ready, okay? And those angels along with the human element took Paul and led him through a hole in the wall so that he could escape. And notice nobody was there watching that part of the city. Hello, somebody. That God had his angels on guard, okay, to make sure nobody showed up in that spot to detect his son escaping because he had plans for Paul's life. And for the next 30 years, it would be wonderful. Powerful. Are you hearing me? So he goes to Jerusalem, back to the very headquarters in which he was sent from. Now you tell me if that's nobody but God. Who does this remind you of? Did you say Moses? Remember the Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses? And Moses escaped to the land of Midian? And 40 years later, God said, come here. Let me tell you who I am. Now go back. <laughs> I just escaped from there 40 years ago. And you want me to go where? I want you to go back. I don't only want you to just go back. But I want you to go in front of the Pharaoh face to face. What? You look at the conversation between God and Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It's almost identical. Paul now has to go back and face that hostile crowd back in Jerusalem that sent him. Remember Jesus? When it was over him, across the Jordan and they came and told him that Lazarus was sick? And Thomas said, you going to go back there? Didn't we just leave there and they tried to kill you? And you are going to go back there? Jesus said, yes, let us be going. And you know what Thomas said? He said, let us go with him so that we, come on, let's go that we all may die with him. <laughs> He's out of his mind. But then they realized he wasn't. Well, let's, let's go and die with him. Paul now has to go back to the enemy camp. The camp that he came out of. So when Saul had come to, the, to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Fair enough, huh? Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, he's, he's, he's trying to destroy Jesus' church. And the same reaction occurred where? In Damascus to the north. It's now occurring in Jerusalem on a larger scale because there are more Christians in Jerusalem than there were in Damascus. And now all of them go, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh -uh. You can't come here. No, we don't want no part of you. Are you of the way? Look, you just need to leave. Okay? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So he knew where to take him. He said, come on. Because somebody believed by the Spirit. He said, come with me. And he took him directly to the apostles, the head of the church on earth. You see this? This is a God thing. When you are in doubt, watch God at work. Watch Lord Jesus do what he says he's going to do. 
Because he had just told Ananias some time earlier that this man was going to do what? Be a light to the Gentiles for him. He's going to be a speaker to the Gentiles. And he's going to speak to his people Israel. And he's going to speak between, you know, before kings and nations. Did Paul not go to nations? Yes, he did. Did he not appear before kings? Yes, he did. Did he appear before the Gentiles? Yes, he did. And did he appear before God's people, Israel? Yes, he did. They're the ones that had him arrested. So, did Jesus keep his word? Yes, he did. Will he keep his word with you? Yes, he will. And only you know what the Lord Jesus has told you about your life right now. And my words of encouragement to you, trust him. Trust him. I don't know what, what the time is. Trust him. So Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I, uh, I can only imagine. You don't think the apostles knew that the high priest had sent this man to Damascus to arrest their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And now, that same killer who stood before Stephen and watched Stephen kill is now standing before them as one of them. In fact, he will end up doing greater work than they will in the kingdom. Are you hearing me? They had no idea the nature of this man this man had an assertiveness about him. He had a tenacity about him that simply could not be stopped until Jesus stopped him. And now Lord Jesus has fortified that same assertiveness, that same tenacity for him by the Holy Ghost. And now he really can't be stopped. Because now, instead of working against Jesus, he's working with Jesus. Or shall I say working for Jesus. Amen? So you're seeing a great transformation that is taking place. And when you're in doubt, we got some bad friends, okay, in this world. You're going, God, I don't think this person can ever be saved. We got some bad loved ones that we're saying, God, I don't think this person can ever be saved. And at one time, some of our folks were probably praying to God, I don't think she could never be saved. I don't think he could never be saved. Okay? <laughs> Whoever thought that napperhead boy from Archer would be preaching the gospel? The one said, that's a bad little joker. Take his bad butt home to your mama. And I used to tell her, kiss my yeah, that was me. I was a bad little joker. And when I got home, somebody had already picked up the phone and said, you know what little Sam did? Because that's what they used to call me. My mama said, he did what? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I walked through that door, she was on me. 
<laughs> and right before my mom died, and by the way, today is her birthday. Right before my mom died, one of my sisters told me uh, while I was at the funeral home re reviewing her body, she said, Sammy, Mama said, you are a true man of God. Amen. Wow, what a testimony to hear that your own mother who used to tear your behind up says he's a true man of God. She did some things right, didn't she? She spared not the rod and she did not keep the word of God from me. We'll finish this up. About Saul right here. Verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. Do you know what that means, Mr. David? That means a relationship had been established. And that the apostles in Jerusalem, as well with the other disciples in the area, had now welcomed him. And he was going in and out with them. Preaching the gospel. Because Jerusalem is huge. Jerusalem alone in those days had over a million people. Gainesville only have about 250,000. On the best days when the college is full. Can you imagine one million people? Shelley? That's a lot of work and they didn't have cars to drive over to the next street or the next block. Okay. And them brothers were busy. And so, look, look, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, otherwise the Greek-speaking Jews, those who were born outside of Israel. He was getting in confrontations with them. Why? Because he was talking about Jesus. And the enemy wasn't happy, but they attempted to kill him. <laughs> It's strange how the bounty turns, isn't it? The bounty is now upon whose head? His. When the brother found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. That's why he's known as Saul of Tarsus. God just sent the man home. He's from Tarsus. Now he's gone home. To preach the gospel. Then the churches throughout all Judea, and this is what we're closed with, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. Jesus our Lord had did an amazing thing. And he told them before he ascended back to heaven on that hillside, he said, remain here in Jerusalem and you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the first three had been fulfilled. Those people had became Lord Jesus' witnesses where? Mm 
Judea, which Jerusalem is a part of, Samaria, the middle section of Israel, and Galilee, the northern section. And they lived in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that meaning that they walked in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They were sensitive to him, and they listened to him, and they obeyed him. And as a result of that, the church was added to. Okay? The church was added to. Look around you. We have to line ourselves up like the church did in those days. We have to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we have to get out there and let people see that. And watch God add to the church. I'm out there now. I'm trying my best. I'm out there. You all out there, but get out there more. Okay? And watch the Lord do what he says he's going to do with us. Any questions as we get ready to close in prayer? Any prayer requests as we get ready to go before the Lord? And then I'll talk to you about a couple of options that's been laid at our feet about buildings. One right around the corner that way. One around the corner that way. Our dear sister got us on the inside on that one. And this young man, talking about that one down there. We'll see, we'll look at both of them, see where the Lord is leading us. And which one did the Lord cast lots on for us? That's the one we're getting. Amen? Amen. All right, any questions? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the precious name of your son, Jesus, thanking you, dear Lord, for such a powerful message, how you converted, Lord Jesus, Apostle Paul, and how you used him, even when your other children were afraid, you still used them for your glory. And Lord, there's something else to live in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And we're asking you now, Lord, allow your great peace to dwell with us in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And let your church be added to. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.